Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and along with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are going to talk all about some exciting new hockey card business news as well as the new coverage of the NHL both on ESPN and on TNT. Tim, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm good. How good are you? to hear. Oh, I'm I am good because I finally it took me 8 years, but I finally finished my 2013-14 Panini hockey sticker set. I Recently acquired the very last sticker that I needed, which is the shiny John Tavares sticker. So the takeaway from this is that, remember, folks, collecting is a marathon, not a sprint. I could have had this sticker many times over for $3.99 plus shipping, or somebody was like, oh, I'll sell it to you for $5. I'm like, dude, it's a sticker. I know it's John Tavares, and I know it's shiny, but it's not a $5 sticker. And I ended up getting it in a trade for a sticker that I didn't want to have. So... It worked out pretty well. What year is that from? 1314 Panini. Wow. So now I have every Panini hockey sticker album complete from 2008 9 to 1819, because in 1920 and 2021 is when Tops took over the license for hockey sticker albums. So 2008, 2009. To 2018, 2019, I have every Panini hockey sticker album complete. And then going back to the 80s, I have the 87, 88 Panini hockey sticker album all the way up until 95, 96. Then after that, they get a little hard to complete because they were only sold in Europe and Russia from like 96, 97 to around 2003, 03, 04. And then yeah. there were like a couple of years where they were also sold in Canada, but they were like really limited numbers. Anyways, I didn't want to make this a show about Panini hockey stickers, but. That's a lot of stickers. What is? They have all, all those the, albums? To have all those albums and sets. Do you stick them in the albums or do you just like have the stickers and then have the album to keep everything nice he, and neat? Yeah, it's like you read my mind because I was actually going to bring that up. 8788 through 9091, I have two sets of each sticker. I have two of each set. Some of them I have in pages, and some of them I have in the book. So I have like the full 8788 set in the book, and then I also have an, a separate 8788 set that I put in nine pocket pages. Same with 8889, 8990, 9091, 9192. Then by 9293, it started to get a little um, expensive to do that. So I, I stopped doing that. I think I have 08, I think I have a set that's in the book as well as in the pages. But all of them are in the sticker albums. And in certain sets, I have additional ones in pages because I'm weird like that. That's very thorough. I don't know. It's kind of like... You kind of want to like keep the sticker in like mint condition, but at the same time, they're more fun to look at in the sticker albums. Yeah, I mean that's why they're that's what they were intended for. So right, obviously, you know the collector side of it is like, oh, I got to have this perfect. Don't play with the toy. Don't take it out of the package. Well, yeah. then you become like I was when I was buying two of every Star Wars figure, or if it was a stormtrooper, you know, twelve of them. <laughs> yeah. 
I always wanted more than one stormtrooper as a kid. Because I'm like, you never see just one. There's no. always like 50 of them. Yeah, there were so many good guys and only a handful of bad guys. They were always outnumbered. Right. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, but then when I became, like, an adult toy collector, then that just kind of became a thing to do. In fact, I remember the Stormtroopers were hard to find when they started making Star Wars figures again in the mid-90s because everybody was, like, in their 20s and, like, oh, I always wanted to have more than one Stormtrooper. So then they became really tough to find for a while. Yeah, it Uh, makes sense. Kind of like how cards are now. Oh, yeah, so cards. So uh, speaking of Panini, Panini won't really have anything to do or much to do with hockey cards, that is, licensed NHL hockey cards, because the big news that came out on Monday was that the NHL and the NHLPA extended the licensing agreement with Upper Deck for a long-term deal. How long? I don't know, but it did just said... Yeah, well, they don't really say. Well, we can definitely uh, put some logic to speculate on that but this is the question that we've all been asking you know since the whole fanatics thing we'll call it a thing the whole fanatics thing went down and put the hobby kind of upside down as far as what was going to go on for the future and who's going to have the licensing for those listening to the show um you know not to go into everything because we generally just talk about hockey cards but the short of it is Fanatics has the deal going forward for three of the four major sports. And everybody speculated up to this point that they were probably somehow, some way going to struggle and fight and wriggle away the NHL licensing away from Upper Deck. Well, now we know that that's at least not happening for now. As far as what they said, I found this interesting because they called it a long-term deal, right? Mm -hmm. Every article you read, including the actual announcement from the NHLPA and the NHL, shows that it's a long-term deal. Now, what exactly does that mean? If you go back to the last two deals that Upper Deck made with the NHL, so first go back to the 2014 one Mm -hmm. and take a look at that. The press release on that one said that Upper Deck was signed to a multi-year deal. Uh, The second one, was signed in 2019 and it also said it was a multi-year deal this one says a long-term deal and doesn't use the words multi-year or word with a dash multi-year so i thought it was interesting that the last two deals with upper deck specifically said multi-year again not telling you how many but this one says long term so if you look at the 14 deal saying multi okay they signed another one in in 19 so first one was five years the 19 deal now they're signing one for the 22 23 season to kick in so that would make the 19 deal 19 20 21 22 so that was a four-year deal right Mm -hmm. this one's got to be at 2019 20 and 2021 and we're doing 21 22 right now so this new deal is going to start with 2223, right? Sure. So this deal, this deal that they're working on right now, if you think about it, it's kind of like a bridge contract. It's only 3 years. Well, the the 19 one was a 3-year one. Yeah, yeah, so that's the one that they're they're working off of now. So this new one, it's got to be a minimum of 5 years. Minimum. 
because and this is this is where i'm going with this if you put this into a five-year window as far as how we're cycling out of it that puts you at what 26 27 Mm -hmm. for the season right after all the exclusive deals kick in to the other sports with fanatics Right, so they can kind of wait and see how those shake out and what they do. Yeah, and it's slightly it's slightly after for the exact reason that what you're saying is what I'm thinking. They want to they want to see for a season or two how the fanatics thing plays out, and weigh their options at that point and move from there. Because even the you know even the the players association and the NHL have said numerous times that they enjoy having the you know, the contract with one group. They like what Upper Deck has always brought to the table. They they enjoy working with them. And, you know, from that standpoint, it's great. But they also always mention that, yeah, that wasn't the only deal on the table. There were other deals on the table. And in this one, they mentioned that they talk about Fanatics and how mm-hmm. Fanatics has the other licenses. And they, they bring up the fact that Fanatics will still be partnered with the NHL. So... The commercials, every commercial break in a hockey game are not going away anytime soon. And mm-hmm. the, the high quality products that Fanatics puts out won't be going away soon. Right. That was sarcasm for those that couldn't get that across the airwaves. But at least for now, they don't have the card license. So, so. let me ask you, though, think about this. If you're the NHL. Do you want to be Fanatic's fourth child or Upper Deck's only child? Um, and I guess I, they wanted to be Upper Deck's only child because honestly, <laughs> if you're the NHL and you're like, "Hey, Fanatic's is gonna is making baseball cards, basketball cards, and football cards. We want them to make our hockey cards too." Now, forty years ago, when it was only tops, it made sense because it was only tops, right? Well, okay, and then Don Russ, and yeah, I mean, okay, but I'm just saying, like, for a while, it was really only one company, sometimes two companies, you know. The point is, is that, like, back then, you'd, you'd want to be with Tops because Tops made cards for everything, pretty much. Now, there's so many different companies that can do this and can do a great job of this. So, I guess the question is, is, would you want to be, what, what do you think, if you were in the NHL's shoes, or the NHLPA shoes, would you say, oh, we should we should do Fanatics? Or would you be like, no, no, let's stick with Upper Deck because Upper Deck is only really going to focus on us as their main squeeze? If I'm the NHL, I want Upper Deck. If I'm the NHLPA, knowing what we know about the other deals that Fanatics signed, I most certainly want Fanatics. Mm, yes, because the players have more control and it's more of a partnership with Fanatics Absolutely. Uh, with their licenses. Absolutely. Whereas so, with Upper Deck, it seems more like a license or licensee kind of agreement. You know, you abs- pay us a guarantee, absolutely. you give us a percentage in royalties, and we get approval, and you can't put any pictures of us sticking out our tongues or eating hot dogs on the bench or whatever. You know, it's been a long-held kind of thing that's talked both talked about and not talked about that, you know, the NHL Players Association, while – it's a fairly strong union, I guess, because, I mean, they're the only league that's ever officially had a complete and utter work stoppage. But at the same time, 
there's a lot of folks that err on the side of caution with giving them too much credit because a lot of times they side with what the NHL wants for the good of the business, quote unquote, the good of the business. Because if the NHL wins, everybody wins. But in the case of something like this, where all these other organizations have these agreements set up where there's going to be some type of additional, whether you want to call it profit sharing or whatever, to where the players can actually make something on the back end. I want to go with the guy that's throwing money at everybody. Right. right. So it makes you wonder, you know, Fanatics now is only batting 750. Right. So uh, since Michael Rubin is the co-owner of the New Jersey Devils, are we going to see Devils cards in any of these new Upper Deck products? Or is he going to refuse to allow the Devils to be included in the products? I think because the Devils are a member league of the NHL, they have to comply. I know. I was just I was just kidding. I was making a joke on that one. I'm a little disappointed by this. I'll tell you what. I like Upper Deck. I like Upper Deck cards. But. I see what baseball collectors get, and I want that too. I want an Allen and Ginter hockey set. I want a Chrome, a Topps Chrome hockey set. I want a Bowman Chrome prospect set. I want what baseball card collectors have. You know, football, basketball, you get Panini Prism. I like Panini Prism. I like Panini Prism hockey, and I'd like to see that come back too. Although I would rather get what Topps gives to its baseball card collectors like and i miss all the history that tops hockey had up until you know 2004 so i'm a little disappointed i think if like if hockey just went to fanatics and no one else i'd be like oh okay this is either going to be really great or really terrible but i think it's probably going to just be bland but you understand in this market and in how things have gone over the over the years that's what we're going to have it's not a matter of, hey, I wish, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we had Upper Deck and Tops making cards or mm-hmm. Upper Deck and Panini making cards? Yeah, it would be cool. Is the reality of it going to happen? No, it's not. Because if somebody else gets the license and it's not Upper Deck, they're getting the license. It's not right. going to be a split one. They're not right. going to do anything like that. Sure, the NHL gave two exclusives to their TV contract. They're not doing it for cards. I guarantee it. No, because then you have too much product on the market. That's always been their argument. You have too much product on the market. And I guess when you have companies that try to compete with each other, the way we look at it is we go, oh, well, great, competition breeds innovation. But the way they see it is that when they're trying to outdo each other, it just gets ridiculous and out of hand. And that's true. And I think that's part of the reason why Upper Deck has maintained this as long as they have. I mean... Look at how cards have come and gone since 1990. Upper Deck's been with the NHL since since then. I mean, what's that, 40 years? 30. 30-some years, whatever. Don't make me older than I am. Yeah, sorry, I'm not good at math. Math is hard. Yeah, so they've been the only consistent company that's been there every year. I don't know of a year between then and now that there wasn't an Upper Deck set for hockey. Was there one? I don't think there is. No, Even during they, the lockout, Upper Deck still made cards. They made cards during the lockout. Yeah, yes. the Upper Deck. Yeah. So yeah. they've been around ever since. And even when they, even when there was like question about who had the right licensing and everything else, they still made hockey cards with the be a player sets. And you know, so there was always 
somehow, some way, they were always able to bring something to market. And look, I feel like the ultimate collector in all of this, the hockey card collector, is probably, for the most part, breathing a sigh of relief after this announcement. Because with Upper Deck, you kind of know what you're going to get. And yeah, everybody has their beefs, right? Some mm-hmm. people hate redemption. Some people hate sticker auto. Some people hate the quality control that that they happen to get on their their stuff. Some people hate the fact that we have this set and not that set. And it's like, you know, everybody's got their gripes about this, that, and the other, right? You're one person. They are shopping their product to millions, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're a drop of water in a giant ocean. But in the grand scheme of it all, I, I really think that this is what the NHL was was looking for, was some type of stability. Mm-hmm. And I think they know what they're going to get with Upper Deck for now. And they're fine with it. They don't know what they would get with Fanatics. Because no one knows yet. Other than the dollars and cents that they're trying to break through and figure out, hey, who's getting what out of these deals? Mm-hmm. Once they figure that part out of all of it, then it's a matter of where are the logistics now? What products are going to be made? Who's going to make them? Where are they going to come from? What distributors are going to carry them? Are they even going to be made available? And I think some of that information was let out in this press release because you know, some of the things that were brought up was Upper Deck's focus on direct-to-consumer, and they brought up EPAC quite a bit in some of the things that they were talking about. And I think that is kind of going to be a push going forward because they mention Upper Deck's relationship with distribution channels, whether it be through retail or hobby and other distributors. And obviously they're talking about the direct you know, diamond dealer program that Upper Deck has. They don't want to disappear as a contender in a digital world where everybody's talking about the dreaded NFT. And Upper Deck made a point to announce as part of this package that they also received not an exclusive one, but a license nonetheless to manufacture, I guess that's the wrong word since it's not really what they're doing with those. To create, to, to create sell. NFTs and to sell mm-hmm. NFTs. Not only that, they have a whole entire marketplace and a platform already developed that's going to roll out this winter called Evolution. And it's going to be a compendium to coin another used upper deck brand. Please don't say um, coins. Oh yeah, coins too, too soon. Too, too soon to coin a a grandeur too soon thing. It's going to be part of the EPAC platform. So essentially, well, why it's wouldn't going to, it be? I assumed it was originally going to be its own separate thing because the NFT stuff is still one of those things where it's like there's a lot of this might be easy to people that understand it, but people that don't understand it, it kind of seems like this giant logistical nightmare of ones and zeros and trying to maintain and everything like that. So You're talking about NFTs or EPAC? No, NFTs. EPAC okay. is nothing. It's just pictures on a screen. Right. And if you can get to the point where that picture can equate to something real, our buddies at ComSeal will send you a card. Right. So NFTs are different. It's just digital. It's all ones and zeros. It's something on a screen. It's it's this source code, right? 
mm-hmm. there has to be something that's going to store that. There has to be a way to utilize that. And the fact that they're touting this marketplace that's going to be unveiled this winter, you know, I just assumed it was going to be a whole separate thing. But apparently it's going to be through EPAC. So I don't know if EPAC is going to be the platform to purchase. And then Evolution is going to be the platform to use to buy buy and trade. Secondarily, I'm not 100% sure. But what we do know is it's going to roll out there. It's interesting they used Evolution too, because when I think of Evolution, I think of those video cards that they made. Do you remember those? Yes. Like Did, back was that in Upper 20- Deck who made those? Yeah, back in 2011. Well, other companies had them, but Upper Decks were called Evolution. They were in the, uh, what, 20... I think 2011 football, and then they were 2012, they were in the world of sport that Upper Deck put out. And they made mm-hmm. the basketball ones because mm-hmm. they had the Michael Jordan one that had like 60 seconds of mm-hmm. him playing for like North Carolina or something like that for mm-hmm. college. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that they were going to call it that since they've used that name before. Well, you got it, use it again, right? I mean. Yeah, I mean, if they have, if it's one of those patent things, but. I don't know. I'm not. A... I think Synergy would have been a great name for NFTs, but they already used that for their plastic cards. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you can recycle one name, I guess you can re- borrow it and well, recycle I mean, it not, again. But not when it's something that they're already using it for one thing. You know, that'd be confusing if they called Synergy a. Um... Actually, I, I don't know if it'd be a great name for an NFT. I I think it would be, but I'm probably thinking of. Um... There was this cartoon in the 80s, Gem and the Holograms. I don't know if you ever watched that. It was a girl's cartoon. But... Come on. No, it was not a girl's cartoon. It was an everybody cartoon. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I used to watch it with my sister, but my sister used to watch Transformers with me. And so Gem had these magic earrings, and they would make synergy. It was like this hologram that would, like, advise her or something. And so when I hear that word, like that was the first time I heard the word synergy. I didn't even know that synergy was like people being able to work together really well. Like we have this great synergy, you and I on this podcast, they would say, right? So that's the first thing I think of. So it's um, it's truly outrageous. Truly, truly, truly truly. outrageous. But the misfits were better. They were. But anyway, so that so I would have used that name Synergy for like a virtual card that to me that would have made complete sense. Also, it sounds like energy and energy. You think of like energy, like electricity and it being like maybe not something you could hold. You know what I mean? Like you can't really hold energy. But anyway, so evolution. Yeah, that's fine. It's or, you know, is it did you say evolution or revolution? No, it's evolution. Uh, Like like I said, we only know the basics of it. We don't. I don't know that there's been a major, major announcement about what it is and how it's going to work and everything else. And even the release, there isn't a release date. It just says winter. So, I mean, that could mean anything. You know, they're based in California. So winter out there is like never. So, you know, so we don't, you know, we don't know for sure. Winter where we're from is, is nine, 12, nine to 12 months a year. So, yeah, I mean, it's 11 months in Winnipeg, and it's maybe about 11 days in SoCal, so yeah, figure it so out. It just depends on where you are. It's it's going to be a relative term, but, you know, back to the issue at hand, I I, I, I get the trepidation of a lot of people, and, you know, the, the things that everybody's been struggling with over the last, whatever, 20 months or whatever, mm-hmm. think of this as a blip on the radar. Is it going to get better? Yes. You know, supply chain is going to get better. 
you know, product development is going to get better. Logistics, shipping, all of that, it's going to get better. It has to. I mean, it just has to. It's just going to take some time. And, you know, once we can get to that point where we've passed, okay, you know, the worst is behind us and now we can move forward. And there's still a lot of that uncertainty with everything that's out there now. Yeah, we gave Upper Deck a ton of crap when they came out with Chronology 2 and didn't have the patches because they couldn't get the patches. So they decided to use the plastic in the cards. Yeah, and, those are pretty you know, terrible. You know, you know, Styrene Gate. Yeah, we dished on them pretty bad. But, you know, they came on and they talked about it. And they explained, you know, this is what happened. This is what caused the problem. And this is what we're dealing with. So we were stuck because we have to have product out at a certain time. So even though, you know, they had a recent announcement where Ice was canceled, Trilogy was canceled, they delayed Series 1, and then all of a sudden, a week, two weeks later, the NHL announces, we're sticking with Upper Deck. The optics of that to people that were already on the fence that may have had a bad experience or bought a, you know, bought a case of cards and five of the boxes had to ding corners because the UPS driver decided to use the box as a kickball. That's not Upper Deck's fault. And, of course, they're going to turn around and say, well, they should have packaged it better. What did you want them to send it in? A giant metal vault so that nothing happened to it? Protected into in, like, a hermetically sealed bubble where nothing could get to it? Yeah, how much would shipping cost then? And then you complain about the shipping costs. But your cards would be protected. So everybody's going to find something to complain about on this. And if people are wondering why I'm not screaming and bitching... Uh, like I normally do, it's because I'm trying to take a new lease on life here and think of the more positive things. And I can see this as a positive thing. But again, it's not forever. Even though they say long-term, what's long-term? Multi-year meant five years. So long-term, what could that mean? More than five years? Six years? Seven years? Probably five years. I just think five years is probably the nice round number and they're like okay we'll give you five more let's see what happens and it just so happens to fall you know within a year to two after each of these fanatics deals kick in so i really think that that's what the nhl is positioning themselves to do is let upper deck run with this for a little bit longer until somebody else comes along and puts out a product that they can look at and decide whether or not they're going to go for it and you know that's kind of where we're at you know other than that you can read the press releases yourself they say all the same stuff that most press releases say you know short-term goals long-term goals great vision one of the things i thought was funny they said upper deck uses a holistic approach I'm like what does that mean sure they, they like came into the boardroom with a bunch of candles and incense and like brought every leveled everybody's chi out i don't even know if that's anything i just made that up but yeah i like it as a collector i like it it's stability to me and a lot of long-term collectors, especially hockey collectors that are uh, loyal are generally loyal and, and stick with it. They fear change. They want to see innovation, but they want to see innovation of the stuff that they already like, which is really not innovation. It's more just nostalgia. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Cause like you said, you brought up, I'd love to see tops Chrome. I'd love to see Bowman Chrome. I'd love to see prism. Well, Upper Deck kind of has that. I mean, we have a Chrome Prism product. We have Allure. We have OPG Platinum. They dabble in others here mm-hmm. and there. 
So we, we sort of sort of have their version of it. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar. So yeah, yeah I mean, I'm glad that they're gonna that Upper Deck is gonna continue with the NHL because going back 30 years, when I looked at all the trading cards that were out there, Upper Deck were the best cards, and I was so happy when they were making hockey cards back then. But looking at it now, I mean, all the companies are more like the quality is more or less the same. I mean, they all have their own little things that they might do better than each other. Or they might, you know, do certain cards better. Have, you know, you're going to like certain things about certain companies. I like Upper Deck hockey cards. And yeah, now that they have a 30-year history, you know, they could dust off the 94-95 design. And I'd be like, ooh, 94-95 design on, you know, 2021 cards. That's so cool. You know what I mean? Like, where's like, you know, if they do a design from like the 50s or 60s, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's meant to be a 1961 tops design. But, you know, you and I, we like old trading cards because we have an appreciation of the history of the sports and the, the history of the hobby. But we didn't buy packs of 1961 Topps cards because we weren't around back then, right? But, you know, so a card that's designed to look like a 1991 card is going to mean more to you and me than a card that looks like a 1961 card. So Upper Deck has that back catalog of things, you know. Um, sure, and don't forget the cornerstone to hockey collecting and that's the young guns i mean so yes. now you got at least five more years of young guns yes yeah, you think about that what's gonna what's gonna happen if upper deck didn't have like young guns would go away nobody else is gonna get that well somebody make rookie cards there were rookie sure. cards before young guns of course they'll make rookie cards and they'll say rookie card they'll well, say rc they won't have a cup on them like tops did they won't have Rated rookie because that's Panini. It won't have a young gun, so they're gonna have to be called something else. And are people gonna latch onto that like they have with young guns? I mean, look, people don't even know about hockey; they know about young guns, right? Just because, you know, if you ask somebody that wasn't a hockey collector but collects cards, and you know, I'm gonna collect hockey. What should I collect? I don't know, but I hear young guns are where the money is, right? Where it's at. Yeah, because that's what people identify. That'll remain at least for a while. I think another another big thing is the NHL knows that Upper Deck has all these exclusive licenses with a lot of their players and a lot of their higher profile players. So yes, and actually, I'm glad it, you it brought that sense. up because you look at like the the mess that Panini America has. Okay, so like Upper Deck, Panini America, the NBA, and Michael Jordan. Panini got sued for making a card of Scottie Pippen with Michael Jordan in the background. Or was it a Dennis Rodman card? Either way, or I think there was a Rodman card and a Pippin card, and Jordan was in the background. And Upper Deck sued and said, only we can put Michael Jordan on a basketball card, which is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, it was a totally ridiculous lawsuit. But the idea was, was that they're like, well, we're the only ones who, who can picture him on a trading card. So this is a problem because Upper Deck has the rights to Michael Jordan, put him on a basketball card, and to Michael Jordan's autograph, but they don't have the NBA license, but they have the FLIR name brand. You know, you'll see like these reproductions of like the Michael Jordan rookie card, but it's like at like a bigger size, like a poster size, right? Because maybe they could sell that as a poster and not as a trading card or whatever. So it's kind of messed up that the company with the NBA license 
doesn't have the license to use Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player ever, on their trading cards. It's not so, just Jordan, they have LeBron too. Yeah, they got LeBron. And it's ridiculous because, like, I mean, five years ago, I got a LeBron James autograph, uh, and he was in, like, his college jersey. And, I mean, I ended up selling the card because I didn't well, want it. If you look at all the sets that they put him in, it's usually their like Goodwin champions and, and things like that. Or if they have some type of throwback set that they can roll it out and use it in. Um, I yeah, mean, that's usually I it, card, but they're in street clothes. I got a card of Ryan Sandberg. I've, I've mentioned this before, but it was at the 2011 national. I got an autographed card of Ryan Sandberg and he was in street clothes. Yeah. And I was like, I wish he was wearing a Cubs uniform because this would have been like a treasure to me. Cause he was my favorite cub when I was a kid. But he's just like wearing a jacket, like a suit jacket and a shirt. And it just was really lame. And I I traded it for a Jeff Skinner autograph, which I know is a terrible trade. But that was the card that I wanted. Skinner was rookie of the year. Some guy with his son who was wearing a Cubs hat pulled a card and they didn't know who the heck Jeff Skinner was. And here I am in my hockey jersey and I had this Ryan Sandberg card. I'm like, hey, trade you straight up for it. And they're like, really? I'm like... Yeah, I want this, you know, at that time I was player collecting Jeff Skinner. And to me, that was a card that I wasn't going to be able to find easily. I still have it too. And I still like having that card, even though I sold off most of my, um, I think I traded John Orr. John, if you're listening, hello. But I think I traded John Orr a lot of my Jeff Skinner cards. (laughs) Once Skinner went to the Sabres, I was just like, "Ah, I don't care about him anymore. But I hung on to that autograph. Wow. I can't even fathom the amount of hate mail you're about to get for trading Jeff, Jeff Skinner for Brian Sandberg. From who? But the baseball collectors who don't listen to this show? From anyone. Because that's, I guess, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? You know, I mean, <laughs> I didn't trade the LeBron part. I sold that for cold, hard cash. But All right. Well, at least there's that. That's, I think, one of the big things, just going back to the exclusive signings of individual players. I mean... They've got Gretzky. They've got yep. Connor McDavid. You know, they basically had Crosby forever. Patrick Waugh. They've Mark Messier. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's so many guys down the list that have had exclusives before or currently mm-hmm. with Upper Deck. And Upper Deck has so much material of theirs still in the hopper that they can use, whether it's through their card product or Upper Deck authenticated. I mean, the latest one, Nick Suzuki from yes. Montreal just signed an exclusive with them. So it's not like this is all old contracts that they're just going with. They're still signing people to exclusive agreements. I mean, Quincy Byfield was another one. Yeah, Byfield they signed. And who's the uh, who's going to be the number one pick coming up here? Uh, what's his name? Well, anyways, uh, while you Google that, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Nick Suzuki deal because I thought that was interesting. So Upper Deck yeah. Authenticated is exclusively selling items autographed by Nick Suzuki. So just to give you an idea of some of the products that they're putting out there, a signed puck is $300, a signed photo is $400, and signed helmets, sticks, and jerseys are $1,000 there's also different versions of, I think there are some jerseys that are selling for $1,200. And these are ranges. Like, I think some of the photos are like $399.99. And I think larger ones are like maybe closer to $500. I like the fact that they're highlighting this young kid from Montreal. So he plays in the hockey hotbed of Montreal. And he's a, you know, 
had a great season last year. I think, though, that, like, I look at those prices and I just go, like, man, I, I like Nick Suzuki, sure, but 300 bucks for a signed puck, I just, I mean, I'm not even thinking, like, oh, can I turn around and sell it? Like, you can't, not at that price. But, okay, let me think. If it was a player that I liked, so let's say it was Dominic Kubalik on the Blackhawks, right? I would look and go, yeah, I like Dominic Kubalik. I'd like to have a signed puck by him. But then, like, for $300, I'd be like, yeah, but it's just a puck. I like what they do, and they sell some really nice stuff. But I think the prices are just a little bit too high for my, for a little too rich for my blood, as they say. I don't know that I compare Kubalik with Suzuki, but. No, but I'm saying a player that I like. I, I under, yeah, I understand you know, the point that you're trying to make. I'm not a Montreal Canadiens collector. So I just I was just giving putting it in a frame of reference that I could understand. No, and that's I, so I say I, I get the point that you're trying to make there. I think that Kubalik was a runner up for the Calder, so he's not like a terrible player. Some about these exclusive deals, I while trading cards are a part of it. I mean, look, they're gonna certain products they're gonna throw in front of them and say, "Here, sign 150 of these, or sign mm-hmm. 300 of these, or whatever." Other products, they're going to ship them 700 pages of stickers and say, sign all these, mm-hmm. right? I think this boils down to exactly what you're saying is you're talking about items with these high ticket, like a, a set of game used gloves or a stick or a puck or a giant poster or, you know, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I think there's a whole nother realm that we don't get into a lot on our show and that's collecting actual memorabilia mm-hmm. and not sports cards and there's a whole market out there so you know whereas 300 400 bucks for an autographed whatever might be a lot on our end we see it all the time look at all the people that go to the shows that have tristar as a sponsor and have mm-hmm. these autograph pavilions and people just stand in line with just racks of stuff that they're getting signed and you see the list and you're like, this guy's signing for $175. And you're like, what? I don't think I would ever pay that for his autograph. I'd want his autograph, but not for 175. Right. Meanwhile, there's 400 people standing in line, all of them paid waiting to, to get stuff signed. Mm-hmm. And you got guys with, you know, sticks and, and helmets and jerseys that have autographs of 10, 15, 20 different people that, I mean, that was 100 bucks here, 200 bucks there, 50 bucks here, $300 here. And it's like, wow, you've taken this $200 authentic jersey and turned it into something that's ended up costing you 10 grand. Right. When all said and done. And if you were to turn around and sell it, are you going to get 10 grand for it? Maybe not. But to you, like you said, you might pay that for, you know, a Blackhawks guy that you really liked. But. To have something like that, something that's unique, a unique piece that you can't get anywhere else. I think there's a lot of people out there that are more than willing and probably would think that that's a steal. Well, I don't want to say a steal, but at least a pretty good pretty good deal. Especially since you can't get it anywhere else, at least for a while, until that contract runs out. I mean, again, they don't ever give you details on how long these things run, but... I'm sure the Suzuki one's no different. I doubt they released and said, oh, this is a however many year deal for whatever, right? They never do that. 
So. Did you ever figure out who it was you were trying to think about? Whoever everybody's thinking is going to get picked number one. Shane Wright. Wow. So Shane Wright signed with them already. He hasn't even been picked yet. Yeah. You know what? We're hockey collectors. We've been dealing with that since 1990. Of course. You know. And it's going to continue as long as the market dictates. Real quick, I want to throw out a few things, uh, just a little bit of news tidbits. So game-dated moments are back for this year. Four cards came out this past Friday, and they sold out this past Friday. So card number one was Seattle Battles host Vegas in first game in franchise history. Card two was Ovechkin moves into fifth place on NHL's all-time goal-scoring list. Card three, McTavish scores an NHL debut, helps Anaheim defeat visiting Winnipeg. Card four, Bertuzzi finds the back of the net four times in Detroit's season opener. So it seems like Bertuzzi won't get the COVID shot, but every other shot that he's taking is going in because he's scoring a lot of goals for a guy who hasn't played even all the games this season because he can't travel to Canada with the Red Wings. So yay, I guess. I don't think we can correlate the two. No. Maybe we can. I don't know. Well, no, but I mean, I think everybody was surprised. Like, whoa, Tyler Bertruzzi. That's like, wow. Okay. Like he's a, he's a good player, but you know, four goals. That's, uh, that's pretty good. So let's see what else. Upper Deck released something called a promo team pack. They released team pack number one, Vegas Golden Knights. This is something on EPAC. I'll put the link in the comments where you can get a pack of these for free between now and December 5th. ProSet Memories is out. I still have not purchased a box of ProSet Memories because I'm still having a hard time forking over $165 to get two autographed cards and two buyback cards. By the way, I've already purchased three Chris Chelios buyback cards for far less than what a box would have cost me. And there's only so many Chelios cards that they can make. He had three cards in 90-91. He had two cards. No, yeah, two cards in 91-92. And I believe he had one card in 92-93. So three, two, and one. So he's at six buybacks. Some are limited one of ones. Some of them are limited to five. A one of one I was bidding on went for over $40. I got outbid at the last second. And the ones that are out of five were far less than that. But Again, I'm only really bidding on Chris Chelios because that's the player that I PC from the 90s, like PC obsessively. I also casually collect Ronick and Belfour, and I haven't even looked into the Gretzky ones, and I still haven't seen Bruce Shoebottom. But damn it, okay, Bruce Shoebottom, 9091 Pro Set Series 2 card, buyback card, with the Pro Set Memory stamp shows up on eBay. It's out there somewhere. You can bet your bottom dollar that I am going to own at least one Bruce Shoebottom Pro Set Memories by card. I was say, it's out there somewhere. Whether mm-hmm. it's been on Earth yet or not, I don't know. I don't know, but I need to own this card. So if you bought a box of Pro Set Memories and you got a buyback of uh, Chris Chelios or uh, Bruce Shoebottom, you can uh, contact me and uh, we'll work something out. What are boxes running on those? Still about 150 165. Oh, really? They're not yeah. now? Yeah. I thought I saw them for like 140 bucks or 150 bucks. Oh, they might have gone down a bit. Maybe now's the time to buy. Maybe other hockey card collectors are thinking, hmm, 160 bucks for two autographs and two cards I already have is a lot of money. Still have your gift card for DA? I do. 
I do. <laughs> and every time I look at buying something at DA, I'm like, wow, even with this $100 gift card, I'm still going to have to shell out a lot of money. Not for the pro set, but like I'd be like, oh, maybe I'll buy a box of, and then I look and I go, oh, it's still going to cost me $150 even with this gift card. Like a gift card is fun when you can buy something you want with it. When you like have a gift card and it only covers like half or less than half of the thing you want to buy, it's a little disappointing. And that's not because it wasn't a generous gift. It was that the prices of cards were ridiculous. Like what did we think Skybox Metal was going to cost? Hobby, 150 bucks? I think we initially said like between 160 and 180. But that high. You thought it was going to be that high. Yeah, but it ended up being way more than that. How much was like OPC Platinum? Wasn't that around 120 a box? Platinum? When it first came out? Which year? I don't know, 15, 16? Um, I think it was closer to 150 at first. Okay. Well, the point is... And then it dropped, but then it skyrocketed like a year later. Well, but see, I guess what I'm saying is that like, I don't think any of us really thought that uh, Skybox Metal was going to be 350 a box. I certainly didn't think it was going to be that high. And that's why I asked my sister to get me a gift card, because then I could buy these cards when they come out. And when I see that they're 350 a box, I'm like, eh, I'm going to hang on to this gift card for something else. Yeah. So Pro Set Memories is out. Well, let's talk about these cancellations. I know you touched on them earlier. Uh, 2021 Upper Deck Ice, canceled. 2122 Upper Deck Trilogy, canceled. And 2122 Upper Deck Series 1 delayed from its usual release time of mid-November until December with retail packs coming out after the holidays. Ouch. So two sets canceled and their flagship set coming out in December and the retail packs missing Christmas. Okay. Okay. Ice doesn't bother me that much. Other than, are they going to somehow filter ice premieres into something else for the rookie class? And if they are, what product are they going to put it in? Well, what products do they have left that's 2021 in the uh, cup? Yeah, that'd be it. I mean, and we won't know anything about that until pff, probably February of next year. So yeah, that's the only thing really in ice that has a major impact on most collectors is the ice premieres. I don't think anybody's really heartbroken that there won't be a base set and everything else would just be inserts that you can probably get something similar in another product out there. Uh, Trilogy, again, I'm not completely heartbroken on Trilogy. Uh, I usually get Trilogy every year because I like the product, but... Uh, trilogy doesn't bother me too much. Series one is an interesting move. I get it, but you know everybody always looks at series one as it coincides with the expo, right? And that's like always been the big thing. The big push is you got the expo. Where else do you want your product hitting shelves and being available to consumers than at probably the largest hockey collectors show? There is, and that's the expo. And now it's it's back to being in person this year. Um, so now hey, that it's not going to be available. Speaking of the expo, have you seen this lineup of autograph guests that they're going to have? Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. So just looking at the hockey guests, we got Marion Hossa, Gilles Gilbert, Peter Ng, David Ayers, legend, 
He just did the siren at the uh, Canes game today. Nice. Norm Ullman, Daniel Goyette, Shane Corson, Darcy Tucker, Daryl Sittler, Dave the Tiger Williams, Mike Keene, Dominic Hasek, Kim St. Pierre, Andy Moog, Felix Potvin, Billy Smith, Bobby Hall, John LeClaire, Adam Oates, Gilbert Perrault, and wow. Michelle Goulet canceled. So lots of Hall like, of Famers on that list. Oh my God. But I mean, lots of Hall of Famers and fan favorites. I mean, Felix Potvin, not a Hall of Famer, fan favorite. Hell yes, he is. You know what I mean? Andy Moog, another fan favorite. I mean, if you consider both his time in Edmonton and his time in uh, with Boston. Goalies get a lot of love. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, Mike Keene played a long time. He played in the NHL, I think, till 2004, but he still played in the minors for like another six years. When I was writing the players for autographs in the late 2000s, he was still playing in the minors. Didn't sign my cards, but he was still playing. You are um, saying Mike Keene and not Mike Keenan. Right, right, Mike Keene. Yeah, the the old yes. Montreal Canadian. Yes, right. So, I mean, I'm looking at this lineup, 20 hockey guys signing at the uh, Fall Expo, which is going to happen uh, November 11th through 14th. So, man, I mean, it's like a national, but for hockey, if you look at that autograph lineup. So, yeah, I mean, Upper Deck always tries to tie Series 1's release date with the Fall Expo, because that just makes sense, because then you have incentives to buy packs and have rapper redemptions and you know, it's people are always looking for series one at the November show. Same at like the November show in Chicago. Well, and um, that was going to be my other point is usually the Chicago show is like the weekend later after yes. the expo. Yes. And so Upper Deck's now been out for a week and you get all the dealers in, you know, at the Chicago show that are all competing price wise with those. And, you know, that's always been the big draw for me is going yes. to the fall show and, you walk around and find six different dealers and they've got series one anywhere from 70 bucks a box up to 120 bucks a box or 140 bucks a box right. now. So I guess that 70 to 120 has shifted up to like 90 to 140. But even still, you know, like when extended came out well, at the national, you know, we walked around for a while and everybody was floating around hundred to 120 for, box of extended i can't for the life of me think of the booth that we went to but uh we found a guy that was selling them for 75 a box and we were like this is the best price on the show floor hands down so we got three of them while we were there because it was like why not so and you can find those kind of deals and that was always the best part about buying the new the new release because everybody was there there was enough supply and they were willing to compete because right. you know your next competitor isn't 17 cities across the United States right and ordering online he's across the aisle on the other side he's got to try to wiggle those sales away from you and so that was always the you know the fun fun part about it but i guess we're not going to have that for the expo or the chicago sports spectacular this time around and it's going to get delayed till december so right around the christmas holiday so and it won't be in retail yet. It'll just be in hobby. So you're going to have to order your products, either pre-order and hope it arrives before Christmas if you're looking for a Christmas present, or go to your hobby shop and buy it because you're not going to be able to go to Target and Walmart. And even if it was there, 
It wouldn't be there. Oh, but it will, because you want to know something? I found enough Series 1 and Series 2 in Target and Walmart. I was just patient, and sooner or later I got everything, whether I bought it online or in person. Same with Skybox Metal. Found lots of that at both at Target in the store and online on Target.com. Extended, I bought at the National. When you said, hey, you can find it for like 75 bucks a box. I looked around. I bought three boxes myself. Yeah, so I had no reason to buy it uh, by retail packs if I already bought three hobby boxes. But yeah, missed opportunity, yes. But you know what? In the end, if the product is good, if the quality control is good, and listen, I know we talk, you talked about, oh, what are they supposed to do? Ship it in a steel vault so the corners don't get dinged up? Here's the thing. If you have cards that are selling for hundreds of dollars, Right out of the pack. Yeah, you're going to be annoyed if the corners are dinged or like how you had those rounded corners on all the young guns and upper deck replaced all of them. They did a great job at that. You know what? I had some factory defects on some of the cards that I got and upper deck replaced all of them. If they couldn't replace the card, they substituted it with a card of higher value. For instance, like I think I got like a rookie portraits card that was a bit mangled and I sent it back and they sent me a yellow bordered numbered parallel, uh, I believe of a different player, but it was like a step up. You know what I mean? It was a better card and it, you know, it was just another guy, another unproven talent for an unproven talent, if I remember correctly. And in another time I was shorted a pack and they sent me two packs to compensate for the missing pack from a it wasn't a blaster box. It was like the the next step up, like the $30. I don't know what they call I can't remember what they call it. Oh, I got, I got what you're saying. I mean, I'm not going to the expo. I just can't make it logistically work. Kind of like when teaching ends for me. So that's like the end of the quarter where I teach. It's hard for me to go out of town for that weekend. You know, and then just the whole like traveling to Toronto and staying in a hotel in Toronto and then trying to have enough money to like buy things, you know, maybe one day. It's definitely on my list of things to do. Maybe not this year, maybe next year. Eventually it'll happen. I will tell you this though. Um, I am going to be selling at a couple of shows and this would be a good time for me to mention this. So Saturday, October 30th, 2021 in Lake Station, Indiana, VFW Hall, I will be setting up at a show from 10 to 3, I will put more information in the notes below. But yeah, Lake Station, Indiana. It's a sports card show from 10 to 3 at the VFW Hall. Um, I am also going to be doing the Chicago Sports Spectacular. And that is in November. That is actually in the suburb of Rosemont. And it is November 19th, 20th, and 21st. So I'm going to be doing those two shows for those uh, who have it, gone to the Chicago National, it's at the same place. Yes, exactly. Same uh, same place. By the way, they're going to have hockey people, too. So, Where? At the, sport, at the Chicago show. Yes, they are going to have signers. I know uh, Jerry There's Cheevers. only two. Only two. Bernie Jerry Perrant Cheevers and Jerry and, Cheevers. Yeah, Bernie Perrant. Yeah. Right. We don't get so all you, of the 30-some or 50-some or whatever the expo gets. We get two. Yeah, well... <laughs> 
That's okay. I think those two guys, they did the virtual expo last time. So I think maybe this time they're not doing the expo and they're doing a Chicago show. It'd be nice if they got a few more hockey guys at that as well. Yeah, they've been, that's been rough. It has been because of two guys, three guys. I think that's it. No guys. I don't know. That's pretty much been the last, the last three dockets. Zero, three, and now two. Right. Yeah. I mean, even the National, you had Bobby Hall, Brett Hall, and Chris Chelios. Yeah, that's what I was referring to as the three. So, of the last three Chicago shows. But that's all right. We'll we'll get back to it eventually. So, if you can make it out to Lake Station, Indiana, come stop by my table. Um, And if not, come to the uh, Chicago Sports Spectacular in November and stop at my table there. So, I'm excited. Got, you know, sold cards at the National. Had a blast. Are you going to have the, the Puck Junk swag there with you? I'm going to have the Puck Junk swag with me. I'm going to have the Puck Junk t-shirts. Also going to be selling hockey cards. Because, man, I got a lot of cards that I don't need. So help me find homes for these hockey cards, you know. I got a lot. I You know, that's the thing about being a collector, though. You just end up with so much stuff even if you don't want to. And it's even funny when people just give you stuff. Like, when I played hockey, guys would just bring me cards. They'd be like, hey, Sal, I know you collect hockey cards. Here, I have this uh, set of cards called Pro Set. I don't know if it's worth anything, but here, you can have it. <laughs> like, oh, my God, more Pro Set. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I mean, you collect things, and things have a way of finding you. That they do, especially once word gets out that you're that guy. Yeah. And then everybody's like, hey, you collect cards. I've been getting hit with a lot of that over the last couple of months from people. Hey, I heard you collect cards. Uh, my dad's got this, this, and this. And I'm like, I'll look at it for you, but considering what you're telling me and when they collected, I'm going to go with no. <laughs> you're like, oh, my dad used to collect cards in the late 80s and early 90s. No. I don't even let them finish when they start saying that. Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, it's funny. Like, I love it when people are like, oh, I have hockey cards. I'm like, oh, really? From when? And you're like, oh, 90, 91, 91, 92. Like, Guess what? I do, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, they, as we've talked about ad nauseum, they were everywhere back then, you know? So it was, it was tough to not somehow have hockey cards, somehow end up with some cards, Accessibility breeds oversaturation. Yes. So um, speaking of accessibility, I think I'd like we're going to wrap up the show with our talk about the NHL's coverage on ESPN and TNT, among other stations. So this is kind of a big deal. Well, no, this is a big deal, big monetarily, but also big for hockey fans. I've said this before, and I'll say this again. The number one reason why I wasn't a hockey fan until age 14 was coverage. Because from 1980, I think the last NHL game that was uh, not on cable was in 1980. It was the Stanley Cup Finals in 1980. And then the NHL was on cable TV in the 80s. And the Blackhawks were on cable TV in the 80s. So I did not learn about hockey until we got cable TV in early 1989. So just shy of my 14th birthday, I stumbled upon a Blackhawks game. Caught the last five minutes, said tune in on Saturday. I tuned in on Saturday. I watched the Blackhawks play the Islanders. 
And then the game after that was the Kings and the Penguins, and I was hooked. So it was a different time 30-ish years ago. But then I think about, like, how, you know, there was Sports Channel America, and then it moved from Sports Channel America to ESPN and ABC, and then it went to the Outdoor Life Network. And I remember, like, when I was just like, oh, yeah, hockey's back. What the hell is OLN, right? And you just think about how pathetic the NHL went. You know, when you thought that, like, 91-92, the NHL signed a contract for $5 million with Sports Channel America on the night before their 75th anniversary season. Okay, so you look at 91-92. I mean, those are some pretty dark times for the NHL. I mean, they ended up having the strike later that season. But, you know, here you had a league that sold its TV rights for $5 million. And then you look at 0506, nobody wanted the NHL. And they went on a TV station that was all about hunting and fishing. I mean, it was called Outdoor Life. And this was before there was a winter classic with an outdoor hockey game. So, I mean, it would have kind of made sense if, like, hockey was played outdoors. But I think it was just, like, literally, like, oh, hunting is a sport. Can we be on your sports channel? Because nobody else will have us, right? So you look back then and you look now, and I know people like to disrespect Gary Bettman. Oh, he's terrible. He's ruining hockey, whatever. He dragged the NHL into the modern era more than anybody, more than anybody. Just like we talked about with cards. Traditional hockey fans are traditionalists. They don't like change. Gretzky set a lot of records and Gretzky broke a lot of records and he got a lot of people interested in hockey in the 80s and the 90s and Crosby and Ovechkin got people interested in hockey in the 2000s and McDavid and Matthews in the 2010 era. But Bettman, you look now that the NHL could basically be like, hey, you know what, we're big enough that we could split this up. Instead of taking a lot of money from one network, we're going to take a lot of money from two networks. So you have the ESPN coverage and everybody's like, oh, the ESPN. I love the theme song, right? And then you have TNT's coverage. And I will say this right now, just to get this, throw the ball back in your court. Actually, I shouldn't use a basketball analogy. To shoot the puck over and dump the puck into your end of the ice, Tim. I'm liking the TNT coverage better than the ESPN coverage. Fight better? Me. Better, yes. Um, TNT, yeah. ESPN, Coverage as in the the game broadcast or coverage as in the in-studio coverage? Oh, in-studio. The in-game broadcasts are the same. You have the camera from the side. It goes this way. It goes this way. It goes this way. It goes back this way. It cuts to a close-up. Timeout. Over to the bench. Over to the guy between the bench. Back to the main angle. And, you know. Here's what I like. I like the fact that both have embraced getting closer to the ice. Yes. And what I mean by that is capturing the sights and sounds of what is actually happening down on the ice. You watch any other sport, you got microphones everywhere. Mm-hmm. As much as I liked NBC's coverage, you didn't really have that. And you tried to get player accessibility. You always have those interviews after the period where guys are out of breath and can't talk and give you mm-hmm. the typical bull mm-hmm. crap that they always give. And you got somebody between the glass that's narrating what's going on in the ice, but they're telling you what the conversations are because you don't know. So you got to mm-hmm. take their word for it. Mm-hmm. It's different now. ESPN has microphones everywhere. I read an article that they brought in like these sound scientists 
that did this big study on where the best locations would be for the best processed sound locating mics on the gold net. So they came up with three locations on the gold net between the net and the piping and everything to locate microphones so that you pick up the sounds of because one thing I've noticed and I've watched it in every game when guys hit the post you really hear it like you could sort of hear it before you would hear the the ping but Mm -hmm. now it's super loud like it's amplified Mm -hmm. and I wondered what was going on with that if it was being added later and I found out that they did this whole study of where the best places to put stuff would be they also have microphones around the ice they now have up to two players on each team mic'd up for pretty much every game. And they're talking about even going further to be able to mic the ice itself and also be able to mic players' skates so that you actually get the sounds that are part of the broadcast and part of the game. And so instead of having to listen to the announcers babble on and on and on, you can actually hear games out. And I think that's cool. Do you remember the Blades of Steel video game and you could actually hear the players skating? Oh, yeah. I mean, that kind of sound when yeah. they skated. Sure. That's what I'm thinking about. Then you need that little what sound when they like collide with one another. You hear the sounds of every other game when you watch it on TV. You hear the sounds of a football game. You hear the sounds of a baseball game. You hear the sounds of a basketball game. You know, basketball game especially. The squeaking sneakers on the, on mm-hmm. the ground and the dribbling of the that. ball and all of that kind of stuff. Whether it's annoying to you or not, it's part of the game and it's part of the sound that you hear. True. And I think that's been lacking from broadcasts for a long time and having the player access and everything else is great. And look, I'm not going to disagree with you that the TNT in-studio coverage hasn't been slightly more entertaining. Wait, and, you think it's only been slightly better? Well, look, how do I put this? I've spoken before about my affection for the Chicklets guys, right? Throwing Biz on there, I thought when I heard that he was going to be uh, as part of that team, I was like, what were they thinking? What? Like, you thought that was a bad idea? I didn't think it was a bad idea, but I didn't think it was definitely going to be uh, by any means a PG 13 idea. Biz has been, okay. But he's, Biz been, was a, hilarious. he's been a very good boy he's, for the most part. He's hilarious on, on the Chicklets podcast, he's hilarious on Twitter. And he's hilarious on these TNT. I won't say hilarious. He's funny. He's amusing to funny. He's finding his game legs. And that's exactly it. He has to take the rated R biz and make it a PG biz. (laughs) Or at least a PG-13 biz. And it's funny because, you know, some of the stuff he says, he just spouts off, like, slang phrases and terms. And a lot of times some of the things he's saying – if you know what they are and you think in your head, you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe he just said that. Yes. And having him in one side and having Gretzky on the other, it's like, wow. But I will say this. Last few broadcasts that I saw, when Gretz like, starts throwing barbs back, that's been fun and entertaining. You know, talking about, you know, Biz's ice time and stuff like that when he played and the amount of games that he was in and how many times he got sent down and, and just all sorts of stuff like that. And I think it's been been kind of funny. And, you know, the fact that they brought in the uh, basketball guys, you know, they brought in Barkley a few times. They brought in the whole crew from uh, the NBA uh, panel, 
with Shaq and everybody else. They've got a bunch of personalities that they can, you know, filter in and out. I think the ESPN crew, I'm glad that all of the ESPN folks that have basically towed the line for hockey for ESPN for years are all part of that group. And I think they add a lot of a lot of extra insight and the passion is there for for the coverage that they you know that they do. Yeah, it's great that they let uh, they let Barry Melrose uh, be a part of that. Yeah, because he was like their hockey, like he was the token hockey guy. Like my joke was like, you know, they'd keep Melrose in the basement for twenty three and a half hours, and they'd be like, oh, we need to talk about hockey on uh, Sports Center for five minutes. Uh, say, all right, who's gonna go get Melrose to talk about this, right? And then they they'd bring him out, you know, for five minutes, you know, dust him off, and then they put him back in the basement for what, you know? I mean, it's just like. I felt bad for him because he was like he was the hockey guy on a non-hockey sports network that like, be, literally yeah. cared nothing about hockey. Between him and Butchergrass and Steve Levy, you know, those were the three guys. And, you know, Linda Cohn, too, to a lesser extent, but she was used a lot for a lot of different things. Right. But usually those other three, you know, Steve Levy kind of branched out into a lot of other things, too. But, I mean, really... Between Bucci and Melrose, that was their hockey pairing. Right. The two of them. I like Bouchergrass. I like him doing play-by-play. Yep. I enjoy listening to Brian Boucher because I think having that game insight and bringing that in, especially from a goalie's perspective, I think the goalies see the game totally different mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. skaters. Uh, that's why I always like listening to Marty Baron talk about the aspects of the game because goalies just see the game differently. Than, than everybody else does. So, you know, having that having that aspect there. I didn't mind Ray Ferraro either because I, you know, the Pittsburgh-Tampa game he did to start the season. I'm not sold on Sean McDonough yet because he hasn't done hockey in years. I've always liked Ray Ferraro. I'll never forget his Patrick Stefan ought to be ashamed of himself. <laughs> Was that is that the one where he missed the missed the, the goal empty and net? Where the empty Patrick net? Stefan misses an empty net and then he yeah. wipes out, and then the other team picks up the puck and yeah. scores and and sends the game to overtime, and then and then they win. And oh my God, that was just Patrick Stefan ought to be ashamed of himself. I, I mean, I've I've liked both crews for the most part. Like I said, I'm not completely sold on Sean McDonough, but you know he's only done like maybe two games that I've actually watched on ESPN. They also got uh, Sonny Boy on ESPN, right? Marv Albert's kid. Yeah, Kenny Albert. Yeah, they brought yeah. Kenny over from NBC. And Eddie Olchek. Eddie Olchek's doing as well. I don't mind, um, uh, what's his name, was brought over from NBC also. The one that used to do the studio. Uh, well, what was Kevin, his name? Kevin Weeks. and. Oh, uh, oh yeah, Weeks, Weeksy on there. Weeksy's great. Because, again, goalies... Like again, goalies see the game differently and are able to analyze things just above, like mm-hmm. way above where everybody else can do. And the fact that you know they got Chelios in there too. So I mean, Chelios and Messier. Yeah, Chelios and Messier are in there too. And I think Ryan Callahan was brought over because he had signed with NBC there towards the tail end. It's a good staff. And you know, one thing that I'll just point out really quick: I'm glad that both stations have a female hockey analyst on the crew uh with espn they brought in uh, cassie campbell pascal and on tnt they uh brought in jennifer uh, botterill 
And I think that's great. Well, ESPN also has AJ Malesko too and well, Hillary Knight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. I forgot about Hillary Knight. And don't forget Lee Hextall is doing play by play. Yes. So they've got it covered on as far as in studio or having an analyst and also having a play by play person. So. And I like that. I feel that like when they did something like that, like 15 years ago or even five years ago, it felt token. Like, oh, there's going to be a female color commentator for this one game because, yay, women, right? Like, this is going to sound silly, but, you know, women are half of the world. So, to me, it's not weird to hear a woman's voice on a a sports broadcast. I'm like, oh, this is for guys. No. You know, and they say hockey is for everybody. It needs to be for everybody. And you could start by just normalizing the fact that women like hockey, women like to talk about hockey, and... Here, we got some great women commentators, and we got some freaking gold medal Olympians. You know, like, that's the one thing that Gretzky doesn't have, is an Olympic gold medal. I think it's exciting. I love the differences of perspective. Did you watch the first game on ESPN, the Tampa-Pittsburgh game? I did. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I picked uh, Andre Vasilevsky for my fantasy hockey team, thinking, this is going to be so good, right? (laughs) This is terrible in his first two games. He's been, like, mediocre all season. The point I was getting to was, like, in the – I think it was, like, in the third period, like, halfway through the third period, Brian Rust and Corey Perry sort of got into something because I guess Rust Rust hit him and Perry didn't like it very much. And so they had Emily Kaplan between the best. And they go to her for a second, and she's like, Corey Perry came off the ice, and he was pretty pissed off. I heard he's, that. Yeah, and he's like, he's yelling something over at Russ, and Russ is all Russ is saying something like, you know, are you okay? And he's just looking at him with, you know, death of the death stare. But I thought that was hilarious. She's like, she was pretty pissed off, and then like, no one said anything for like a couple awkward seconds where there was just dead air. And I'm like, I can only imagine they were just like whispering to each other, "Can you say pissed off on TV?" Okay, so what's worse, Emily Kaplan saying pissed off on ESPN or uh, Paul Bissonnette saying horned up on TNT? Yeah, that, that that's kind of what I was getting at was the whole I know, that's comment. exactly what you were yeah. getting at. Yeah, and that was just, I mean, that's where we're at now. I mean, oh so, my God. You know, this, this is isn't your, this isn't your father's NHL. If this is what people way. are going to get upset about, I can give you a list of things that you should be upset about, and, and these are not two of them. Chris Chelios, my all-time favorite player. I'm happy to see him on ESPN, but I'm enjoying the TNT banter in between periods, before and after the game. I'm enjoying that more. When I watch the NFL on Fox, you know, I'm not a big football guy, but, like, when they have, like, those, like, you know, here's uh, Terry Bradshaw and James Brown, and Howie Long, and who else do they have on those broadcasts? They got like five or six guys out there, and they're just talking, and it's fun. And and they make talking about the sport fun. And that's what I feel like the TNT broadcast crew does a great job of, of doing, is, is like, it's fun. Yeah, I liked Ace better on NBC. Why? I think he's uh, great with TNT. I feel like he's the sidekick guy, and he keeps trying to get words in because he can't. Well, that happens sometimes when you have too many people. And, of course, when you have Gretzky, they're always going to ask Wayne first, what do you think? My favorite was in the first game. Was it the first game or maybe the second game where they cut Wayne in? 
to talk to him during the in-game broadcast, and they have him on like a picture-in-picture up in the corner. Yes, first game. And, and he's just talking, going on and on and on, and a goal is scored. Mm-hmm. And rather than interrupt him and say anything, they just let him keep talking. And he keeps talking like nothing even happened. And that goal was scored, and it goes on. And so then after he finally finishes, which is like two minutes afterward, they mention the goal. And another goal is scored where he's talking again. And he's just talk, talk, talk. No one's interrupting him. There's like so much respect and maybe fear. I don't know what it is for the guy that like people just will let him say whatever he wants to say, despite what's happening on the ice. Well, what we don't see is that uh, off to the side, off camera is Marty McSorley in, waiting in the shadows in case. Oh, yeah. In case yeah. somebody wants to interrupt, they're going to just he's going to cross check him in the face and beat the crap out of him so yeah, i could see that when anson carter was on nbc and nbcsn i felt like he was part of the c team like when they brought in anson carter that meant that everybody else you know like okay we're not going to have olchek we're not going to have milbury we're not going to have keith jones we're not going to have brian boucher we kind of i know boucher was more of the in between the glass kind of guy or in between the benches or whatever but like i felt like when they kind of went down their list when they were doing like four games at a time It'd be like, oh, okay, Anson Carter is going to be in this broadcast. Cool, right? Like, and now I feel like he was usually paired up with Patrick Sharp there towards the end. Yeah, but I feel here that like Carter, he's the A team now, and even if he's not talking as much, because I don't remember him in the first week, but the second week, the first week they had Rick Tockett, and I was just like, all right, like Rick Tockett, and he's cool. So can't get Tockett back. Uh, I don't know. I'd rather have Carter than Tockett, honestly. But I like Rick Tockett. I mean, I want to see him come back. And if they rotate in guys, that would be great. They couldn't Um, have two bizzes. So that's why I think Tockett's not there. Ah, for Tockett, I mean. Because he's he's that style of guy. Yeah, but see, the thing is, is Tockett also scored a lot of goals. Tockett was a good player. I just meant from a player's standpoint, as far as personality-wise. Like, he's a no-bullshit guy. Like he says whatever he says, like that's just what it is, and he'll he'll say it, and then maybe twenty minutes later realize, oh, did I just say that? Because he's um, just, that's how he talks. Glad that Liam McHugh made the jump to TNT, because as you pointed out when we talked about this a while back, and I said I hope that he you know makes the jump to one of these new stations, and you said. Well, he's done other things with NBCSN, so he's probably just going to get moved to a different sport on NBCSN. I'm glad to see him as the host on TNT. Like, in a way, I like that there's two different stations doing these broadcasts because all of these guys are getting more screen time, but then they're bringing in some new faces, you know. Like, well, a lot of these names have already been around, but, you know, uh, okay, I'll give you, like, a for instance, like Don Koharski, the former referee. Uh, doing his bit on TNT. And Jamal Mayers, who was a staple of the Blackhawks broadcasts for the last couple of years, sometimes they'd have like four or five guys in the studio, you know, they'd go to intermission and it'd be like, okay, and we're back with Jamal Myers and Andrew Shaw and Patrick Sharp. (laughs) Just like, and Adam Burris. And it'd be like, how many guys do they need in the studio to talk about this Blackhawk game, right? So... Uh, it was kind of neat to see uh, Myers jump ship and and move up. But, you know, another thing I want to point out is Bissonette. So I talked about him finding his game legs. They were making fun of him because 
he was giving very long-winded answers. Never mind that Gretzky was doing the same thing. He was giving long-winded answers, and they're like, whoa, Viz, slow down. This is not a podcast. You don't have unlimited time. And then uh, they're like, we're going to need to implement a shot clock. And they're like, okay, you have 24 seconds to tell a story. And then he spent half of it being, oh, I, I don't know if I can tell a story in 24 seconds. And uh, I, I don't know. I get, I get, I guess I'll try. And then he starts telling his story and then he runs out of time because he only gave himself like eight seconds to actually tell the story. Funny yeah. Though. It's a big different when you're in front of the camera and you only have a couple seconds cause you got, you know, bills to pay with sponsors and you have to cut to this or go back to the game or whatever and million things to cover and versus having a podcast where you can have unlimited amount of time to do whatever the heck you want. Takes some getting used to. So one thing that annoyed me, though, is that I was looking forward to the Seattle Kraken home opener this past Saturday. And that game was on ESPN Plus. And I damn near had a fit because I have ESPN. I have TNT. I have the NHL Network. And I have Center Ice. Yes, I upped my Center Ice subscription once again because I enjoy having that. I love the fact that I can watch any game I want to, or so I thought. Now, I guess 75 games are going to be exclusive on ESPN+. Now, I can understand that the NHL wants to kind of widen its exposure, Right. But I feel that burying your games, especially such an important game like this, is a terrible move. You know what? ESPN and TNT, that's great, you know, because you have two different networks. Pretty much everybody has cable TV now. I mean, I'm going to miss the fact that there are no games on NBC. I know that 99% of the U.S. and Canada doesn't just have free TV anymore. I still think it's a big deal when the games are on NBC or ABC or CBS or or Fox or whatever, like a, you know, a free TV network, even though that's not even free anymore. We talked about the home opener for the Vegas Golden Knights. And I know that was during a very emotional time a couple years ago with that shooting that happened and then the team honoring the first responders who are at that tragedy or who responded to that tragedy And maybe, like, I know the Kraken's home opener didn't necessarily have, like, something tragic tied to it. And thank God for that, because we don't want to see that. But, I mean, this game should have been televised. This should have been a marquee matchup on TNT or ESPN instead of them burying it on ESPN+. And I'm so mad about that. Yeah. Why? I I, I, I get it. What, what do you I get? Understand, I understand where you're coming from. Okay, you that. feel my pain. Yeah. You feel I mean, my angst. I have ESPN Plus as part of the Disney package, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Did you watch the game? Um, actually, I did not. So it wasn't uh, that big of a deal. No, it wasn't a big deal, and is I was going to watch the game, but then things happened. That's again, it goes back to this whole thing of where I was talking about. You know, if you move if you move card licenses from one to another, you're only going to get the one that it's kind of what what we're doing now. They're starting to move things to, I don't want to say behind a paywall, but that's kind of what it is. Um, Paywall already. it, It is, but it's more of an accepted one. I think it has been up to this point. Now that you have 
all these streaming services. I mean, Amazon Prime has football. Hulu has sports. You know, NBC now has, you know, their stuff that they're putting, which is, I, I does it, no, yeah, NBC's using Hulu. Like, they mm-hmm. put a ton of, ton of the Olympics coverage mm-hmm. was, was slammed onto Hulu. And, and it was like, you could watch it after the fact, but, you know, if you wanted to watch any of the live stuff, you had to go and, you know, search for it through the, through the streaming apps. And it's like, there's a lot of sports going to that. I like it and I don't like it. Here's What's the thing. to like about, about it? Here's a big thing I like about it. How many KHL games do you watch a year? Zero. Zero. Have you ever wanted to watch a KHL game? Not really. I want to watch them all the time. Why? Because I see highlights of different stuff that happens constantly on Twitter from people posting about various KHL games and just craziness of like some of the players and the skill levels of some of these guys. Yeah, it's not NHL level, but some of these games are, are nuts that go on. Okay. ESPN Plus has KHL games that they're broadcasting now that you can see. I had no idea about that until we actually got it as part of that package. I started flipping through. I was like, wow, I didn't know that I had access to all of these. And the fact that I'm able to watch those games because I have it. Okay, great. This is what's going to happen. It's just what's going to happen. The more services can get money out of it to be able to pay royalties, to be able to broadcast so somebody else's pockets can get lined. It's just, that's, that's where we're going. And whether we like it or not, that's just what's going to happen. Eventually, I think you're going to see almost all the sports are going to be stuck behind something that's going to require additional, some kind of additional access. Maybe not for quite a while, but it's going to slowly get there. You know, 70 some games on the NHL are on ESPN Plus. Next year, it might be 90. The following year, it might be 120. It's going to probably slowly increase as time goes on. I wish it's going to render game, center ice pointless. Yeah. Well, I wish that game wasn't on ESPN Plus because, you know, at 9 p.m. Chicago time, sure. it was a on Saturday game. night, I historic couldn't figure game. out I gotcha. how to watch this game. I wanted to watch this game and it no, wasn't gotcha. on. Yeah. I mean, it's a historic game. So, yeah, you would expect it to be on. I mean, I, gotcha. I look at the NHL and, like, I'll we, give you that. That's a ball dropper. That's a ball okay. dropper. But I think a couple years back when uh, Patrick Marlowe was on the cusp of scoring his 500th goal and nobody was televising the game. Like, was it televised? Yeah, probably. But um, it wasn't on center ice. And then the NHL network scrambled and then they thought, oh, shit. And then they televised it. Like, then they started to patch in on the game because they realized that this was going to happen or this was the game, right? But, I mean... I knew it was going to happen because I'm a hockey fan. I'm plugged in most of the time and I kind of know what's going on. And I go, oh, this is coming up and it's a milestone. I'm going to watch this game. And I couldn't find it. Then I went out on Twitter and I'm asking people, where's this game? And people are like, I don't know. I can't find it either. And I talked to people from who like watch the Sharks, whether in market or out of market. And they were expressing their frustrations about that. Same thing. I, I know I go back to this example all the time, but I think about that celebrity all-star game where Justin Bieber tweeted out to his 90 million followers that he was going to be playing for Team Gretzky in the celebrity all-star game. And they streamed the game on their website. They didn't even put it on the NHL network. 
not just streamed it, but they streamed it without any type of commentary or audio other than what you could hear on the ice. And that was just the overhead mics. So you couldn't hear much, but it was still enjoyable to watch, especially to see Beaver get his face crushed by, by Pronger. Yeah, that was great. I mean, it was all great. need to make a card out of that somehow. Yeah, it needs to be a score check it insert. Something. Don't you think that would be the that would be the one, wouldn't it? It would work. We'd have to modify it to fit with whatever's out there now. Somebody needs to grab it. And I, I'd expect that in the eighties and the nineties because they were kind of terrible with everything as far as like broadcasting went. But like now it's just like it's like they, they tend to get it right with the winter classics because they're like, Okay, this game's kind of a big deal and it's unique enough that it's gonna draw some people who are not into hockey to watch this game just for the novelty of the sport. Mark my words, the game that Ovechkin breaks Gretzky's goal-scoring record in about five years from now is like either A, not going to be televised, B, it's going to be blacked out, and by not televised, I mean not televised nationally, or C, it's going to be on some janky streaming service that none of us want to subscribe to. It's on Tubi. I'm going, Damn well, it, it's on Tubi. We, now we need to subscribe to Tubi to see OV break Gretzky's goal-scoring record. I still haven't figured out what Tubi is yet, but yeah, they can't. something like that, you know, we'll be able to see within a few years like how close he's getting to that number. And I think scheduling will be like, okay, if he continues on this pace... He's probably going to break it either this game, this game, this game, or this game. So we're going to put this game on this channel, this game on this channel, when they're doing the scheduling ahead of time. So I think you'll probably see the OV watch pretty well covered once we get to that point. But that's just my speculation. I don't know. Hmm. We'll see. I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So which do you like better, ESPN or TNT? Just so far. I know it's only... Two and a half weeks into the season, but what you thinking? I will agree that the in-studio coverage, I think, has been more entertaining on TNT, but I yep. like the broadcast, the ESPN broadcasts thus okay. far. That's fair. Better. That's fair. Yeah. So, other than the issues I had with, um, you know, just listening to the everybody that was involved with, you know, the whole production and, and in-game, other than Sean McDonough, who I can do without. Mm-hmm. Everybody else has been been great, I think. Yeah, I mean, and not everything's going to be great. I mean, I like Chaleos, I like Messier. I haven't found them to be all that interesting in the studio. What they should do is they should put Chelios back with Brett Hall and have them drunk and broadcast like they did during the World Cup. Oh, my God. A few years Chelios, back. That was awesome. <laughs> Chelios and Brett Hall would be way more funny I mean, and, you know, Chelios considers Messier a friend. I read Chelios's uh, autobiography, and he talked about liking Mark Messier, being, you know, considering him a friend and stuff. But I don't find it as interesting. I think, like, my dream team would be, like, Chelios, Ronick, and, like, Drunk Brett Hall. Like I said, some of the some of the best banter between two guys was listening to Chelios and Hall during the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Back when ESPN broadcast that years ago. And it was just funny to hear them just going back and forth. It was like, man, every time they cut away from the studio, you know those guys got beers under the counter and they're just <laughs> they're just chugging them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I will say this. If you haven't watched it yet, The Point, it's a good show. The Point. Yes. Tell us about this. No, the, the Point is hosted by Butchergrass. So it's um, it's a NHL show. It's a studio, in-studio NHL show. Mm-hmm. It's good. Like, there hasn't been one. You know, there's a million shows on ESPN for every other sport, but there hasn't been a hockey exclusive one in right. a very long time. So, well, NHL Tonight used to be what they had. Oh, NHL okay. Tonight used to be on ESPN too. Oh, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It would be the pregame show where it would go over everything and talk about all of it. Mm-hmm. The point is basically that show now. Nice. So that's pretty good. Like I said, Butchergrass hosts that. So that's pretty good. They have one on ESPN too that. Linda Cohn house. Mm-hmm. It's called in the in the crease. That mm-hmm. one's pretty good too. That's the one with the commercial where Barry Melrose is driving the Zamboni. Yes. And at the end, Linda's standing there. She's like, "Come on, we got to go." And that they they have a show together. That's on ESPN Plus. So unless you have that, you won't see it. Well, it's exciting that we get expanded hockey coverage in the United States. So far, it's been interesting. I think it's a good start. From here, it can only go up. Maybe we'll see Ronick make a return. Maybe not. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Don't hold your breath. No, I won't. So, uh, any last thoughts before we wrap this one up? If you don't mind, I just wanted to take a second and thank everybody that reached out to me specifically about my various health things that I've been dealing with over the last month or so. You know, now that it's done and over with and I'm not dead, I can talk about it. I had some heart issues and I had multiple stints put in my arteries. So uh, now that that ordeal is is over with, I can start getting back to normal. So we can rebuild him bigger, faster, stronger. Exactly. So I appreciate everybody's well wishes and thank everybody for reaching out with their concern. I know I've been absent on social media for a little while, but slowly but surely getting back into the swing of things. We're all obviously very happy that you're still alive and kicking and uh, as sarcastic as ever. Hey, you know, and like I said, I'm trying to be more positive on things. Yes. Yeah, I can and still be sarcastic and positive at the same time. You know, at least the last couple of weeks, I'm trying to be positive. So, yeah. you know, that might wear off. <laughs> so stay tuned. Well, all right, then I guess we'll wrap this one up. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed this show, please like and subscribe. Please tell your friends, your family, your significant other, anybody who likes hockey, anybody who doesn't like hockey, hey, tell them to check us out. They might be surprised with what they learn about hockey and hockey card collecting. And until next time, collect what you like. Peace out. And thanks for listening. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.